We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Sam Jay is a writer for Saturday Night Live and an amazing comedian. She's the writer behind Them Trumps. But if you go into the mind of many great comics, there's a lot of pain. This story is no different. Sam grew up in Boston, not far from where I grew up, and she spent a long time coming into herself. She had to really get to know herself as a person and as a lesbian before she could really truly commit to doing stand-up in the right way and tearing up stages. We talk a lot about really getting to know yourself because that's one thing a lot of people have told me on this show. It's hard to show up as the best version of yourself if you haven't done the work to really find out who you are. Sam did that work over many years, quite often while she was sleeping on one girlfriend's couch or another. And now she's living her best life and writing for Saturday Night Live. I'm so proud of her. So please welcome Sam J to Toratia. I feel like comedy tips are like life tips. It's like don't listen to anyone. Mm. <laughs> follow your follow your own. You beat up your own drum. Trust yourself. If it feels funny to you, it's probably funny. And if it's not working, you probably just haven't figured out how to make it work. So keep fucking trying. Like if the joke is scary, that's probably the joke you need to do. If the joke feels too easy, it is too fucking easy. It's like. Life but if, shit. But if you're scared to tell it, you probably sh- tell it. Cause even if it's not the joke you land on, it's it. The fear is excitement also, and that's like that's gonna lead you to whatever the thought is, you know. Mm. And usually you're scared of presenting your most authentic self because that's when you're the most vulnerable. So if you're scared to tell it, that's your most authentic version of yourself. And the closer you are to that, then the closer you are to people not being able to mimic you or recreate you. And so then. When people are seeking you, they're truly seeking you, and only you can do that. No one else can. If you can be your authentic self on stage and funny, yeah, then, then you probably figured it out. I mean, that's really isn't, that's what people are doing. I mean, yeah. isn't that what Chappelle's doing? I think. I, th- I I I think so. I mean, not knowing him off stage, but I feel like he's being his authentic yeah, self. Yeah, it feels like that's the goal. I think, right? And then like I mean, the you other remind stuff. me of the you remind me of the prior the Richard Pryor journey. Of when he was being like Bill Cosby, he was having some success. But when he went away, went to the Bay, grew up, and mm. then he became his true self, and then he really exploded. 
Yeah, but I think that's just like fucking growing up. I, I it's so weird because it's like if you grow up in an art form, then you're you're still growing up as a fucking person, you know. So it's like even with Pryor's journey, like that's what children do. That's what a young man would do. A young man would mimic the most popular man and the most successful man doing the thing, and then a young man would get to a place where he's like, maybe that ain't the man I am, and then a young man would go try to. So it's like my mother used to always tell me, you don't get to skip steps in life. It's mm. fact. It don't matter what you're going through. You still got to go through the growing pains of a thing. So a lot of times, even in comedy, when they're like, oh, it takes 10 years or it takes 15 years to develop your voice. It's like, no, what it takes is 10, 15 years to figure out who the fuck you are. Most people start this 19, 20. They don't know who the fuck they are. 10, 15 years, they're 35 years old. They know who they are now. They have yeah. something to say. They have a grasp of themselves. And so then when they're getting up there and they're talking, they're presenting a whole picture. And then that makes for a better stand-up. You know? How old were you when you first got on stage doing 29 years old. Well, not the first time. The very, very, very first time, I was like 21. I was like 21, and I did it like, I want to say three or four times. And then I... um. Why'd you do it at 21? I just always wanted to fucking do it. You know, like, I don't even know how to explain it. I just always wanted to do it. And I had a cousin, and she was dating this dude, and she had been dating him since college. And um, his name was Chris Tab, and he was a comic. And so, like, as a family, we knew that, like, Vader's dating a comic, you know? And I was, like, so impressed by that. Like, he was, like, a local comic. He was pretty popular. And um, I remember when I was, like, maybe 10, he did this kids' comedy show, and he asked two of my cousins to do it, and he did not ask me, and I was so hurt by that shit. <laughs> but, like, no one knew how devastated I truly was, you know? But I was, like... My feelings were hurt. Like, damn, I think I could do that. I think I'm funny. But I wasn't outgoing funny like that. I wasn't like my cousins were like goofy and like they were more, way more outgoing than I was. A quiet kid. I wouldn't say shy, thoughtful. And I didn't just spew out energy. But I felt like when I did, it was like observant and it was witty. And I knew I was funny. And I knew I was always like thinking of things. And like, if we were at the dinner table and everyone was going, Everyone might get like, you know, because we were, you know, a big family of kids. My grandmother had 11 kids. They all had kids. So we were a big family. How many and like, in your family, in your immediate family? Three. I got two older brothers, me, my mom, and my stepdad. But um, so, yeah, it was like when we were all chilling, everyone would get more jokes off than me. But I always felt like my shits were more memorable. I don't know how to say it. It was like people were firing, firing, firing. But I would say something that would be like, boom. Because I would think, because I cared that much about jokes that that young, that I would really think like, and I'd be listening to everybody, and I'd be like, oh, this is going, this going to kill them, and I would kind of like cook on something. So I felt I had something that was gonna like. So I don't think people thought of me that such funny because I wasn't a roaster, and especially when you come up in a black community, that's comedy, and I wasn't a roaster because it took me too long. Like I wasn't quick like that, bro. Like I couldn't just like shoot, yeah. shoot, shoot. It took me a long time to get fast. You know, but I could like sit there, listen, listen, listen. And I was always the type, I'd be walking away with my friend and I would say some shit about what everybody, like, you know what I mean? And my friend would be like, why didn't you say that? Right. And I'd like- Just thought of it. Because I just thought of it. But, so it was like, I was a little late in that way, in this weird way. So I, I was like, all right, I'm not funny like that. And I think that's also why it took me so long to figure out even who I was com comedically because the funny that I grew up in, I didn't necessarily see myself. So I didn't know how it, how I fit or, or worked yet. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it did. It did. I mean, 
I, I talked to uh, Aisha Tyler once who talked about you you have to bomb in order to get good. Mm-hmm. And I would think about if I went up there and I bombed, I'd be like, oh, my God, that was horrible. I never want to have the experience again. Did you bomb? Did that did that teach you? I mean, the very first time, so when I, when I finally did it, when I was like 21, I bombed, of course. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And I was like a kid, and I didn't really have shit to say either. And I think that's a big part of it, just what are you saying, you know? Because other than that, you're just holding people's attention for what? And then you, you feel the need to fill it with jokes. And then that's where you can become corny and hacky and shit. Because you're just like, <laughs> I just need to say stuff. Because now everyone's looking at me, you know? So having a, something to say is so important. And I didn't have shit to say. So it was like, I did it like four times. So I went through Chris. I did it like four times. And it just didn't feel right. I don't really know how to explain it, but it was like, whatever feeling I felt like I was supposed to feel, I wasn't getting it. I was like, this is cool. And it was exciting, but it wasn't like a connection, you know? So it was like, but I'm interested in this thing. and I. But I wasn't in love, you know what I mean? I wasn't. I wasn't okay. in love, and I wasn't like this is it. But I like I had a homeboy his name DJ Reason. I got him to start with me because we would be funny as fuck together. And I was like, man, we got to do this shit. And we was doing it, and I really thought he was funny to me. And I saw him, and I saw what I was supposed to be feeling. It was like that's it. Like he's doing it. He's saying the shit. He's not. And I was like, I felt like I was still presenting a package. It just didn't feel authentic. And I was like, no, DJ's being the same funny that he is when we're sitting here. He's being up there. And I knew I wasn't doing that. I knew I was being a version of myself. And I was like, that's whack. But I didn't really know what to do about the shit. And then I got sick, right? So my mom died of lupus when I was 16. Okay. So I got diagnosed with lupus when I was like 22. I got sick as fuck. And I was in the hospital like on and off for like a you, year. You must have been really scared that your mom just passed from it. And here comes it for you. I mean, yeah, you think about all that mortality, death, what this shit is whack. You know, plus you're young and it's like someone's telling you you got some shit that's about to change your whole fucking life, bro. And like, you have to live different than every other young person you know. And you have to care about shit that every other young person you know doesn't. And you're just like, this is trash. And on top of that, like, you think your mother dies, you don't You don't think God's going to serve you no more bad hands. Right, right, you're like, bro, right. my bad hands out the way. Like, you did the, the dirty <laughs> thing. I should be able to float, you know? And then you get hit with some bullshit like this, and you're like, ugh. And it was kind of right around when I was starting to go out in comedy more. This thing, like, this comes and just kind of derails that whole energy. And then, you know, there was so much bullshit with my family after my mother died, being shifted around a lot, family relationships being strained. Shit just got funky. So when I was going through all that shit, being sick, I felt very alone. You know what I mean? I didn't have my mom. You know, everyone's raising their own kids and living their own life. And it can only... Like, you're literally in the hospital, you know, 21, 22, you got a life-threatening, crazy-ass illness, and you kind of just chilling by yourself. You know, people are flashing in and out when they can, but you don't got that dedicated, dedicated. Except for my grandma, and she, but she was old, so she could only do it so much. But she was there as much as she could be, and that was really all I had. And then my aunts fading in and out, and then some of my aunts... It was bringing up so much old shit from my mom, mm. and they were so scared for me that they just stayed the fuck away and didn't even want to have nothing to do with it. So after I got better, I moved to Atlanta, and I um, I didn't fuck with comedy at all. I just got it. I was drinking a lot. I was doing a lot of destructive shit, to be honest. And drugs. 
just not really drugs. I wasn't really a drug kid. I didn't even start really fucking with experimenting with drugs. And that's like weed and shrooms. And that wasn't even until I was like late 20s. Yeah. But I was drinking a lot. But I come from a drinking ass family. And Boston's a drinking ass town. <laughs> so that's like just in me. You know what I'm saying? So I was just, I was drinking a lot. I was partying a lot. I was just being so destructive. I was like, I was like me and dudes in clubs fucking them on the first night. Just like. Just being wild, just like I'm doing everything I want to do and I don't give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? So I went down there like, and Atlanta's a perfect, it's Boston for black people. That's what I say. <laughs> like it's Boston for black college kids. It's like literally what white college kids come to do in Boston, black college kids come to do in Atlanta. I, I, I went to Emory. I know exactly what <laughs> you're talking like, about. It's just like. It's weird because we both are from Boston and then went to Atlanta after that. Oh, you got to find some blackness. And, and right. And now we're in New York together. <laughs> it's like it's when, you, when you go up in Boston, you're like, I got to find some black people somewhere, oh, yeah. somehow. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is 
is Elizabeth I. Elizabeth I, the podcast, wherever you listen. No, wait, you said you're in Atlanta uh, sleeping with guys. Were you not out to yourself? No, I was not definitely not out to myself. I didn't know I was gay until I just started being gay. Like, it was very weird. 25? No England before that? Now that I, once I was like gay and look back on it, I was like, oh, bitch, you was gay the whole time. But of course. there was no, 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 because it just wasn't an option. I truly just didn't think about it as a thing you could be. So I didn't have any reference point to be it. It was just like, there's people that are that. That's not a thing I could be. So You didn't even, know any gay people coming up? I knew gay people, but I knew gay white Lilith Fair Dykes. Mm-hmm. So and <laughs> I knew Fair. and I knew that wasn't me. Sure. I was like, I ain't into nothing. I don't want right. no long underarm here. I don't know about none of this. Whatever this is, like it was just like this ain't none of this shit. What I'm about. Right. So there was no gay identity for Sam, which is why representation is so important. Yes. It wasn't until I got older and I st- first of all Atlanta. The first black Dyke I ever met was in Atlanta when I went to visit my brother. I was like. 16 and he had a friend and she was let and she was dead bro she had tims she had throwback football jerseys she had a fucking crisp lineup and that was the first time i was like you could do that i didn't even know you could do that to I dress was, like that i didn't know i was like whoa and i remember feeling like 16 and being like that lady is cool as fuck but still it wasn't like you are that lady it was just like what a cool ass fucking lady it's dope that like Wow. You know, it was just one of those taking aback things. And then my cousin was moving around. He lived in Houston. When he moved back, one of his friends moved back too. Like he like moved for work and one of his friends moved for work. And she was a like dyke from Houston. And she was like, she would wear like cowboy hats and boots. But she still had like a feminine touch to it. And I was like, oh, okay. So all of that was like these little flares that was like opening my mind to what even could exist. Was there an aha moment of like, no, no, I am one of them. It was so oddly not like that. Okay. It was like, I was maybe like 25. I was like fucking all these dudes. I was in Atlanta because I was trying to like figure, you know. Did you I, like it? I did not like it. You, like didn't, I had a, not, you didn't not like it? No, because I had a boyfriend from the time I was like 15 to the time I was like 23. Okay. Right? And so that's a lot of your developmental yes. phase. And I didn't, and I loved him, but I was also young and- Love is based a lot on friendship when you're that young. Like, mm-hmm. truly, most of it is just mm-hmm. someone being your friend, someone finally getting you in this world where you feel like don't nobody get you. Mm-hmm. And so I loved him, you know? And then, like, he was there when my mom died, and so the bond just got stronger. stronger yeah. And, like, that... It, and so I didn't not like having sex with him, but I also had no reference for sex, for real. Like, so I was like, I love him, and if you love somebody, that's what taught me that... Yeah, sexuality is a little bit fluid if you let it be. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was like, yeah, it was like I loved him and the sex was fine. You know, it was fine. And if that's all I knew, it was I came, so whatever. This worked. It did not work. You know what I mean? It worked. <laughs> it fucking worked. So I was like, all right. So then I was dating all these other dudes, but it wasn't working. I was other not. Other guys were not working. And I was like, this is weird. But then I was like, well, maybe I'm just one of these girls that has to be in love. Like maybe. That's what I am. Like, I just am not a casual sex girl, which is why I think a lot of, like, not casual sex girls are just secret lesbians. I've decided that through my own just life experiences. I'm like, these bitches who are just like, I just don't like casual sex and I really love football. You a gay bitch. It's just, 
<laughs> you haven't taken the time to let yourself be that, and that's fine. But anyway, so I thought that about myself. Like, no, nah, I just am not a person who's into casual sex. I am a person who needs a connection. That's just how Sam works. But I'm like, okay. And then, but at the same time, feminine energy is coming at me crazy. So I don't know, just in my old older age, as I'm getting older, I'm just like the dyke in me is just coming out and I can't help it. But like, and, and Atlanta's a gay ass city. Absolutely. So it's also like the, the perfect mix for something like this and, to and, get. And women are coming on to you. Right. And something like, like this. Get, because women are, are like, are acting attracted and they're throwing me energy that I'm not used to. And they're black women. It's like the few times that women have hit on me. So don't get me wrong. I got hit on before by women. But the few, so I must have been throwing off all this dykey vibes forever. But the, the other times it was like goofy drunk white girls and like. Asian girls that might as well have been white because that's all they grew up with. So it was like, I don't fuck with none of this anyway. So I don't give a shit. This is just weird white girls. You know, like really cultural shit you can write off. Like, sure. this is white bitches being white and drunk. I heard they all get gay when they drunk. Right. Who has the time? Right, right, right. I'm just a black woman in this world. You know what I mean? Right. Trying to move around. Right. Then I got to Atlanta. It was like badass black girls was hitting on me with like fat asses and shit. Now, this is not what I expected. Now, here we're in a whole nother game. And I'm like, okay. And I'm talking to one of my best friends from Boston. I was like, all these girls are hitting on me. It's so weird. And she was like, holla at one of them. And she's super straight. And I was like, what? And she was like, fuck it. It was truly like that casual of a convo. But she's always been like, my nigga. Never, like, we were like tomboys. We used to play basketballs on milk crates together. I remember she dunked on a milk crate. And we was like, we are legends in the hood. Like... We used to play Indiana Jones together, ninja fighting, and like this is just like my nigga. So she's like, yo. And I think she's probably just like, you've been a gay bitch. You know, like I'm tired. Just go be gay, dog. You know what I'm saying? Just do it. And I was kind of in this place where I was like, I don't really care. I wasn't super attached to my family. So coming out wasn't a thing. And it wasn't like, and my mom was passed away at that point. My stepfather had passed away at that point. I don't have parents. So there's no pressure of what is anyone going to say. It was just like, this dude shit hasn't been working. And I'm starting to notice that my energy. And when I'm the most comfortable and connecting, it's with females. And so I was like, all right, maybe. Because I'm just a loose goose anyway. I'm just like that with life. You know, I'm kind of a like, eh. If it's feeling like this is the way it's going, then go with it and don't fight it. So I hit up this girl via Craigslist like a fucking loser. Because <laughs> how do you meet people, right? I posted this shit like, I like anime and like heroes, it was dork shit. And I was like, I like that dorky shit. And we just like kicked it. We was just kicking and watch heroes together. And but I let myself and watch heroes. It's just so lame. <laughs> I, but I let myself like her. It was the first girl that I let myself like without the stigma that you can't like girls. Right. I was just like, whatever energy comes, I'ma just go with it. And I let myself like her. And um, then we had sex and. I didn't tell her I'd never been one. I acted like I was just being a lesbian. I was like, I was like halfway dyking. I didn't even know how to fully dyke yet. It was wild. Like I had like big hoop earrings and then like a pressed like mohawk thing. It was nuts. <laughs> okay. I was just, I didn't know what I was doing, but I was working it out. You know what I'm saying? And I um I was just like chill with her, chill with her, and then we fucked. And then it was dope. I just remember it being everything I thought fucking should be. Better than what yeah. you've been doing, too. Yeah, like, it was like everything, right. like energy-wise, mm. not physicality-wise, sure. energy-wise. And this I got it. to be like, I felt like when I was fucking do so much, I had to be a version of, of something that I really wasn't. 
more submissive than I really was, less in control than I like to be, more giving because that's what women do for men. Right. And it was like, oh no, I get to be this full thing that I want to be in this situation and like be my fucking self. And that was a self I didn't even know was being stifled. Suppressed, yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like all this shit your homegirls say about sex that you never connected to, that you were just like, I don't get it. That's not what sex is. So if you're out there and you're doing that, you're just like, I don't get You're gay. So all that shit that I just didn't get, I got it. And I was like, oh, bitch, you gay. Like, as fuck. It was like, try it to know. Sure. And then once, and then it was like, oh, Kimberly wanted first grade crush. Mrs. Stans, Mrs. Stanzi on your third grade, total crush. What were you doing? You were so in love with all these girls, so fucking hard. I was like coloring pictures for Kimberly and like making sure I got in all the lines. And I don't even give a fuck about coloring. It's so, <laughs> I used to be a wild sloppy colorer, but I remember her saying that someone's picture was neat. And I was like, nah, nigga, never again. I'm going to be the most neatest color you ever met. I was in love with that girl, you know? But I had no reverence point for any of that shit. So I just thought, oh, I really like her as a friend. And I want to be a good friend to her. And a good friend would color pictures how she wants. Because I didn't know you could have crushes on fucking girls. <laughs> Which is like, no, that's a full-on crush, you know? It took all of that. And then I think about it. It's like even when I would watch movies... And girls would be like, there would be a guy laying and a woman on his chest. I always saw myself as the guy. I didn't understand what that meant. I just was like, oh, like, if I, when I'm looking at it, I'm not seeing myself as the, I'm seeing myself doing this. Laying back. And just being and like, And she yeah. laying on you. Yeah. But I didn't realize it was, I was just like, you could do that with a dude. I just didn't, I was just a full on dyke, my nigga, and I had no idea. <laughs> So, <laughs> That's really a fact. So it's interesting because that happens at age 25, 26, right? And it's interesting because you said, you first I said, when did you start comedy? You said 29, no, 21. And then this happened in the middle of those two. So where do you go from learning that you are a lesbian right. and embracing that and flowering that way and then getting on the stage for real for real at 29 it's such a real it's so interesting because that's such a real connection that i think is so important it's like all of that shit was me having to find out who the fuck i was right so then once i like knew who i was it took another two years to be like all right this is what i want to do you know what i'm saying so i was fucking around in music in atlanta and shit like when i was fucking with girls i had it was like I transitioned right at the same moment. So I started fucking with music like nine, ten months before I started fucking with women. Singing, rapping, what were you? I was A&R and, and like managing shit. Because okay. I had I had convinced myself I was supposed to be creative in some kind of way, right? But I was a bad drawer. Like I was a very bad drawer. So I was like, you're not a drawer. But I used to always attract artists, right? Like my best friend, the one who told me to go be gay, she could draw great. And she could do graffiti. And my other best friend, Richard... Her name was Amaral. My other best friend, Richard, from high school, he could draw great. And I remember I organized battles. I mean, um, middle school. I remember I organized battles between them because she lived in my neighborhood and he went to my school. Nice. So I be I got this book and I would have her do like a grab piece in it and I'd bring it like, ooh, Richard, look what Amaral did. And then he would do a grab piece like, show it is. And they would battle each other through me. And I just liked having the book and just having all this dope art. So I always kind of been attractive to creativity, but I didn't know how I was creative, you know? Okay. It was like, I wasn't a great singer and I was kind of uncoordinated. My mother put me in type of ballet, but I wasn't a great dancer. I'm not a good drawer, but I get creativity. Like, 
I could talk to someone who draws all day and understand their art completely. I can talk to someone who creates music and get it. Like I get it, but I'm not finding where I am. So I was like, oh, you're one of those people that help people who are creative. Okay. Just so cool. I go to Atlanta, escalate that to, you know, move years on. I'm in Atlanta and I'm like A and R and like helping manage an artist. Cause I'm like, oh, that's what you do. And it's fucking great. It's like really the first time I feel alive. And Atlanta's hot for that. Atlanta's hot for that. And these dudes, I mean, I mean this this guy named Antonio Star. I meet Lloyd Musa, whose uh, rap name at the time was Life the Great, but now he's back to Lloyd Musa. But I meet these dudes, and it's just like, finally some motherfuckers that think like me. Like, they were driven like me. They were like, yo, you can do whatever the fuck you want. It's just all about putting your mind to shit. It was like that. Just meeting a bunch of people that are, are, are thinking on the same like like mad people are trapped and shit they don't love, and that's unnecessary. And I'm like, finally a home. So I'm giving everything I have to this. Like I'm working at a Starbucks, man. I'm giving my money. Like I'm giving checks to studio sessions, bro. I'm not eating sometimes because I'm like, we gotta make this album. But everybody's all in. Is this shit feels great? And we seeing little shit. Like you starting to get little nods around Atlanta. Motherfuckers recognizing you. So you seeing progress and you grinding with these niggas and you just learning how to have a dream. You know, which is a thing. I think to some degree, you kind of got to figure out how to even fucking do. Yeah. Because it's so, it's no structure for it. So you have to figure out how you handle it, you know? Mm. And I'm going through all that shit, but it just plateaued in this fucking wild ass way. It was just like, it hit a wall. And I don't know how to explain it, but it was just like. This is not working. It's not working. Right? It's just not working, bro. It's like the things we, we're not getting in. We're not for whatever reason, and I'm like I'm seeing the end, but I'm also like hanging on because I don't have anything else, and I don't really know any. I don't want to fucking work a nine to five. Like I dropped out of college, you know what I'm saying? Because one, I was never gonna finish college, but two, it's from financial shit. So I'm like, damn, bro, I I can't just be in a fucking office, dog. Like I don't know what's supposed to happen. So I'm clinging to this thing, but I see this thing just it's falling apart. So I'm like, all right, I gotta step away from it. So I remember calling Tone and just being like, bro, I'm walking away, dog. Like, and it was kind of a big deal because we had given everything we had to this shit for like four or five years. And especially when you don't have shit, it's a lot. It's just, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was emotional. And then I was dating her at the time. And I was working at a fucking Starbucks at the Marriott Marquis, downtown Atlanta. And she was like, doing way better than me. Let's just put it like that. So I was also like kind of in a state of just like, am I just going to be a broke bum nigga forever kind of shit? Like, you know, you're just hitting all these walls in your fucking life, man. Like, I'm 26. I work at a Starbucks in Atlanta, bro. I'm making like no fucking money. The first time we hang out, I couldn't even afford to buy her pizza, dog. We ordered pizza and like the bill came and she's an Atlanta chick, so she's expecting me to pay. Like, that's just Atlanta energy, bro. Like Wait, I'm sorry. Let me pause you for a second. Why is it that you are expected to pay and not I have a whole joke about that. So I don't know. <laughs> to this day. To this day I don't get it. I, I truly don't know. It's a wild expectation, but I knew it existed. You know what I'm saying? So I was like, 
fuck, I'm gonna bump. And there's a part of me that expects to be able to pay. And that's just me me being masculine and center, me having to understand what what when you assume a certain energy, because to me it's like if if gender is fluid, then this is all energy, bro. Sure. So when you assume a certain energy, and I assume the energy of a lot of men in my life, and they took care of shit, so I have expectation to feel like I should at least be able to. Now, it wouldn't have been a problem if I had it, and I would be, and I was like, why can't you pay? I would have had no problem with that. But the fact was, I didn't have it, sure. and that was sure. like soul crushing. Yeah. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like it was crazy because she didn't bring any money out, not because she she had money at the time. But she just didn't bring it out. And then she had to send like her friend back to her apartment to get it was the fucking wackest shit, bro. And yeah, that's what I'm saying. You didn't have any, you didn't bring or did you or Kelvin? Right. And he trashed me the whole way. I walked back like I was a bum. I was a bum, bro. So I'm like a bum. And her, like, she had her shit together, like not had, but had, had and has. So she was like, she had a she had a beauty shop in Atlanta on Arbor Ave. She was living in an apartment with a fucking doorman. I got a dusty ass Starbucks apron. I got to like ask to come up and see her. I'm just impressed already. And a bum. And I'm just going through the motions of like, what the fuck am I going to do, bro? Like, I can't live like this, but I also can't be in these situations and it's like, office shit. I know I'm not gonna give my life to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know I'm not gonna go back to school. Like, this is, that's, I'm not, I'm not gonna go back to school and just try to get the best office job in the world or move up in some fucking corporation. Like, so how am I gonna get to fulfillment? Whatever that is, how the fuck am I gonna get there and just feel like I don't fucking know what the hell to do with myself, dog. But all through this whole time, I'm being funny right and i'm i like being in, in the center of attention for being funny so i even do music shit i'm roasting i'm i'm being silly with niggas I, I make jokes here and there i'm that part is never dying it's just like coming out in these other ways even with her i think part of the reason why even though i was a broke dusty nigga she was still fucking me is because i'm funny i would just keep her laughing all the time i'm i'm a funny person and in that regard just like off the cuff and I like that. And uh, we were sitting on a couch. And she was just like, what do you want to do? <laughs> and I think because she was just like tired of like just looking at me be a loser. Because <laughs> it was kind of out the blue. It was like, I don't even know why she's asking me this. But I get it too. Because I'm kind of just like, I'm sleeping on a friend's floor. My homie Goose, I'm sleeping on her fucking floor. Coming to visit her. It was just like. What are you doing? She's like working at a Kroger. At that point, I left the Starbucks. I'm working at a Kroger. Even Kroger. fucking worse, my nigga. Wow. And I'm an adult. Like, this is crazy, bro. So I'm like, Pff. and you know, like Kroger in Georgia is like the end of the road. It's like, there's nothing left. Well, if you had said piggly wiggly. No, bro. <laughs> piggly wiggly. <laughs> well, that's bottom bottom. But it's like, at least I could have been a Publix bitch. No, I was at Kroger, my nigga. So, <laughs> so I'm like, this shit is fucked, you know? And we were sitting on this couch, and she was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, if you could be anything, what would you want to be? And I was like, a comedian. And she was like, why aren't you doing it? And I was like, I don't know. I'm scared. And that was, you know what I mean? Like, that was just the truth. I was afraid of it for a long time for so many reasons, you know? And mostly I think I was afraid because... I knew I was gonna love it and I knew I wasn't gonna wanna do or be anything else. And then I knew like 
Nothing was going. It's so weird. I is because it sounds so cheesy, but it's like once you turn that thing on, I don't even know how you love anything more than it. It complicates a lot of things, and I remember her being like, "No, for real. Like, what are you scared of?" And I was like, "I'm scared that I'm gonna be really good at it because then it's like over. Then it's like like even now I think about kids and I'm like." I don't know, man. You don't know if you want to have kids. I don't know if I can love anything enough, right? Like you love the comedy. Right. And I got to like be able to like love these little motherfuckers, man. Like that you happens. can't do it and the, not give you, yourself. That the the that love for the little ones happens. It's involuntary, but I am interested I am super curious about but they're still selfish Ooh, motherfuckers, bro. Oh, they are. You get what I'm saying? So you can. Oh, the kids are selfish. No, you could be selfish. But you love comedy like you can't imagine. Yeah. 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 And this way that it's like other things fulfill me, but they all need to exist. Right? Is and it, comedy is like the main thing that needs to exist. Like, I the, can. And maybe it's because my mom died. Maybe it's because I've seen a life without nothing. With no hope, with no feeling hopeless. Because I don't think people get that. People are like, I felt hopeless. No, 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 no. There's a true sense of hopelessness. And only people who really felt it know it. Where you're just like, there's no answers. There's nothing good out here. And nothing good is coming ever. True, there is no light at the end of the tunnel. And that's how you felt. And that's how I felt. Like, my mother died at 16. My shit was fucked up. Like, like. I went through a lot of fucked up shit and like a lot of wild family shit. There was times where I slept in cars. There was times where I didn't know where to go. There was times when I didn't even think I wanted to fucking live anymore and was very close to like doing something bad to myself. You know what I'm saying? And that's why I was drinking so much and just doing whatever because I just was like numb and everything and just, and I didn't see a way out. It wasn't even that it was happening because shit happens and I understood that, but I truly didn't see the other side at all. It was like, there's nothing, there's no hope. And I also was looking at everybody around me and there wasn't people doing that much better than me. You know, because like, I feel like people who feel the most like that are people who are aware. It's easy to not feel none of that shit when you're not aware. But I was aware. So it was like, this isn't good what I'm going through. But also these niggas above me who are trying to tell me how to be, they life suck. So if this is the, 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 the people, I don't want to be like these motherfuckers. So this is the top of the shit is I get to work for the MBTA and drive a bus. Yeah. yeah. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Thrivemarket.com slash 
On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And be able to go on one vacation. This is trash too, so it's just like hopelessness. And when you feel that, and then you feel alive, and you're like, oh, here's the whole purpose. Here's the fucking reason why I'm here. I've truly now connected to this experience. Now I'm plugged in. Now I know why I'm here, what my purpose is, and how to use my purpose to be effective. How do you love anything more than that? So what were the actual steps to getting on stage and doing it? So then like my birthday happened maybe like nine months later and she she surprised me and brought me to an improv class and I cussed her out. And I didn't go in. She was like, And then I I uh, I was so pissed. I was so pissed and I was I didn't go in. I was like, that's not I wanna do it. And no. And like I, I appreciate it. I didn't cuss her out, but I basically thought I appreciate it, but I'm not doing it. And I was like, no. Because I was like, this time it kind of really has to be my way. Because I did it before. And I kind of wasn't me. So I was like, this experience, this time, it has to be when I'm comfortable, when I'm ready, and just completely tailored by me. I was very possessive in a weird way about it. And it took a year from that, and I did it at the Star Bar in Atlanta. I did this open mic. And I got up and I did this open mic. And... I was okay, but I remember before I got up, this dude was talking about, it was like, right, my birthday was January 13th, so it was right after New Year, and this dude, like, as a comic, he was like, now we got to deal with all these posers who come in after the New Year trying to have a dream, and I just overheard him, and I was like, oh, that's me right now. I still didn't feel committed to the shit, so I did it at the Star Bar, it was fine, and I didn't do it again. Then I moved to Boston, I moved back home because I got sick again. So I got a, like a lupus flare up and I was sick again. And I got back pushed up on steroids and it was all this crazy shit. And I had come full circle in Atlanta. So I was I was back at my homie Goose's crib. <laughs> back at my homie Goose's crib. I was sleeping on the floor. And then this dude who she was roommate with, who I didn't know, homie Shank, was a dude who when I first got to Atlanta... We were all living in an apartment, sleeping on a fuck. And I was like, all right, Atlanta is tap, nigga. You have fully circled into bumness. Like, this is like, you have fully circled into some bum shit. Like, you, like, this is crazy. Like, you got to do something else. So I left. I went back home. I was like, at home, I had been running from Boston for so long. Just so much family shit. And, like, my mom died, and it was just a riff. A lot of shit went south in so many ways. Relationships got exposed. Shit just went crazy. And me and my family were like strained, very, very strained. So it was like, you need to go home, bro. You need to get yourself right. You need to go back home. But I also come from a huge family. We're close, but we were, so it was, the strain was difficult. And I got all the way back to Boston and just kind of like was rebuilding that, all those relationships. And we're building all those relationships and kind of just co- confronting all that energy that was being thrown around all crazy. I um started to figure out like, how I was going to approach comedy. And I don't even know how to explain that. But I was like working at a nine to five at the John Hancock. I'm approaching my family and I'm 
confronting different situations with different aunts and stuff. And I had just come back a different person. And I had kind of been more clear on who I wanted to be in all relationships, who I was as a lesbian, who I was as a grown ass woman, what I was going to accept, what I wasn't. And then I had made a decision. I was like, I'm going to do this shit. I'm going to do this comedy shit for I was at my cousin's and I was riffing on dick sucking and we were just drinking and laughing. And like the whole party was dying, dying. And I caught my homie tone at night and I was like, yo, I'm going to just really do this shit. I'm going to stop being afraid. And he was like, what you mean? I was like, I'm going to just put my head down and do it. And I called Chris Tab, <laughs> my cousin's husband, and I asked him if he knew any mics. And he was like, yo, you for real about to get back? You about to really fuck? I'm like, yeah, bro, I'm about to just go hard. And he told me a mic. I went up there. I got booed. But then there was this kid there named Justin Pedro. And he told me every mic in the city for the for the whole, whole week. Open mics. Yeah, like all the mics. And then I went to every one of them that week. And I was just being me. And the shit was feeling good. And I was getting laughs. And I was like, this shit feels alive. And I was like, all right, just put your head down for a year. I committed myself to a year very early, like that first week. I was like, put your head down for a year. And if you're further than you were when you started, put your head down for another year. If you're still feeling good and you're getting shit done, you see progress, just keep doing it. Because what the fuck else are you doing? You're working at John Hancock and wasting your fucking life. Like, So I just kept doing that. So you're on stage killing. That's what we see. What happens before that? How do you write a joke? How do you write a bit in five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes? Your, you know, your album, Donna's Daughter. Like, how do, how do you write? Um, now, I don't want to tell you, like, a lofty answer. But I don't know how. <laughs> it's not simple, though. Cause it's like I could be like, I just I hate answers. I'm gonna give you a lofty answer. You just got to deal with it. Cause I hate answers. Those are not real answers. You don't write a joke reading three newspapers and then sitting. And this now you write jokes. You know, you I just lived a bunch of shit and the shit that was funny I remembered and I think about it a fucking lot. <laughs> I think about it a lot. There's things I said to her two years ago that I just started saying last week and she remembers. She'll be like, you said it to me in a conversation two years ago. I just, the things that I think are important, but also funny that I want to like give, I think about them till I, they're ready. Is it is there any writing or there's no pen to oh, paper? Oh, no, no, I'm not fucking Jay-Z. Like I write, I write <laughs> shit down, I write shit down. I write premises down, I write thoughts down. I write like, you know, sometimes I write a whole joke if I feel like I have the whole joke. Do you have writing time? Like, okay, so this hour must... I'm not that structured. I tried to because I heard that people were doing it and I tried to make comedy like school because that's what people tell you you're supposed to do when you're dedicated to something because we're fucking drones of a society. So it's like if you think something's important, then you'll structure time and you'll sit there and you'll study because that's what you do when things are important. So I didn't want to feel like a bum in comedy and I didn't want to feel like a loser and I didn't want to be lazy in it. It was very important for me to be dedicated. And I was like, well, I was lazy as fuck in school. So maybe I need to, for real, like maybe I need to make structured time if I want to be for real successful and be important in this and, and take this seriously. And I tried and I'm not creative that way. 
So I don't do that, but I do take the time when I think things, I make sure that I write them down. And when I don't, I cuss myself out about it. Like I do take the time to listen to sets. Like I record a lot of myself and I listen to myself a lot. And I do try to, as hard as it is, watch myself, which it's it's usually like five or six appearances will go by before I can even get the the nerve up to do it. Yeah. But I try to do it and and be analytical of myself. Also, I also find it just very important to be honest with myself. Be honest with myself about when I'm being lazy. Be honest with myself when I'm not pushing myself. Be honest with myself when this joke feels hacky. Be honest with myself when I don't feel like I'm just working up to my full potential and just consistently telling myself the truth is an important part of my process mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Who'd you learn from? Were you listening to albums or other comics and go, oh, okay, she's doing a good, he's doing a good? I mean, yeah, I think so. But I think it was like from all over. I was I was seeing it in mics. I was seeing it in local guys. I was seeing it when I was traveling. I was seeing it when I watched Hannibal Burris, Animal Furnace. I was seeing it when I watched Bigger and Blacker and killing me Chris softly Rock. so i think it's just like a it's just like a a span of it of like all of it who's know? the top three working today for you bill burr wow bill burr first out the gate fast boston I connection i love burr he's so funny he is hysterical john mulaney i got a lot of white boys Comic on my list comics love john mulaney <laughs> i love john um he's so funny and uh Dave, man. Chappelle. Yeah. I I'm hate to give it all up to men. I'm surprised Chappelle is third for you because he's incredible. Well, I was just naming them out. Was okay, it rankings? In, no. I wasn't getting any rankings. Okay, just no order. Throwing them out. Do you have a top three of all time? <sighs> no. It always changes. It's just like ever growing. It man. seems to me that Richard Pryor is considered the greatest stand up. Like it, that's more unanimous than any other. Like, like ninety nine percent of people think Michael Jordan's the best. Ninety nine point nine say Tiger Woods. Prior is like ninety nine point nine nine nine. Like everyone's like he's the best stand up of all time. Yeah, yeah. Like, but it's like I always feel like that's weird, right? Because I didn't grow up on Prior. I'd be a liar to say I grew up on Prior. Yeah, yeah. I didn't grow up on Prior, but I culturally understand the influence of Richard Pryor. And when I watch his stand-up, I understand the greatness of his ability to tell jokes. And, and when you, it's, yeah, yeah. It's like, of course, you know, but it's like, if it's like, for me, just my heart, like what my heart loves, it's like, Chris Rock is the greatest comedian of all time to me. Okay. Because that's the comedian I grew up with. Oh, yeah. And that's the comedian that, showed me a different type of black comedy that I didn't know existed. Like I said, I wasn't a roaster and I wasn't a snapper and I wasn't that quick. And I had a lot of these bigger loftier ideas and I didn't know where that lived. And then I saw Chris Rock and I was like, oh, that's the whole thing. And Chris was so smart with the way he did his thing. I was so tired of the 
Def Comedy Jam. Yeah. Uh, 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 what was it? What was it? BET joint. Uh, what was it? Comic View. Comic View. White people are like this. Black right. people are like that. And also, like, I just didn't think like that. And it was just more dynamic. And it was just more insightful to me. And it just yeah. with these bigger thoughts. And it was what I liked about a lot of the white comics that I saw that I didn't see my identity in. So it didn't make sense to me. Right. You know what I'm saying? It was like that's what I loved about Carlin and that's what I loved about like Janine and like, it was just Jean like, a, this, yes, yeah, and it was just yes. like this combination of that energy, but in this very black way. And I was like, Oh, you can be that. Okay. That makes sense. And that's very fucking funny, you know? Mm. And it just resonated with me. Niggas versus black people is forever. Ooh. The bit that I will like say changed my life. It was just like, Someone saying it finally, a black person saying it, it's right on point with like timing and culture. It's just the perfect And it's bit. a smart bit. And it changes things. It changes dialogue. And that's what I always felt like it was supposed to do. So the comic I mean that it goes viral kind of and people just say it but in even real bigger life. Than going vi yeah, viral, but in this world where things were going viral, where it was just such a level of consciousness yeah. that it was like, this is now a part of the conversation. Now you can't ignore this anymore when you're talking race. Once niggas versus black people said it was like, yeah, you can't just say we're all the same, bro. Because right. it was just instantly a conversation to be had. And it was like, that's what comedy I loved always did and to see black identity in that was life-changing even though i didn't even realize it then sure it was life-changing because it gave me an identity and a thing i didn't see an identity is there a then. Chappelle bit that rocked you in the same way as niggas versus black people the rock the chris rock bit? this is a felt special i feel like killing me softly as a special is just this Perfect slice. That was a DC joint. Yeah, with the crack baby with the snuffleupagus I mean, with, with, with the drug dealing baby. Yeah, and snuffleupagus and the purple stuff. It was just, and at that point, I was like in love. I was like half baked. I was just like, this dude is fucking everything, you know. But it was comics like that. Was that the one at the end when he's like, I want to be so famous I can put my dick on somebody's shoulder and they'll be like, oh my God, it's Dave Chappelle. I think so. And it's, I was distinctly like, it's the Native American bit. It's the uh, baby oh thing, the snuffleupagus. Hey, bird, give me some crack, bird. <laughs> when, he, when he gets stopped by the cop, when the white guy gets yeah. stopped, I, I, I did know that I did, couldn't You don't do want to get your ass beat to a soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, those are specials to me where it's just like, there's quotables. See, there's his quotables. last Netflix joint, actually, not not the last, the one before the last, where he was talking about Bill Cosby. Yeah. Oh, my God. So good. He destroyed. And, and, so and, good. And you can't retell it because the joke is like 30 minutes long. Yeah. And there's all these different parts to it and like. It was great. It was beautiful to watch. He's a, uh, he's, he's so a how did you get to SNL? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I did some shows and people saw me and then they said, hey, SNL wants you to audition. And I auditioned and they were like, hey, they want you to audition again. And then I auditioned again. They were like, one more time. And then I did it and they were like, hey, you want to come right? And I was like, okay. Change your life. Yeah, for sure. Were you living in New York at the time? No, I was living in LA. 
I moved from Boston to LA. I was living in LA, newly married. Not at that time. At that time, I was newly not married. But I moved <laughs> to LA, newly married. <laughs> and um, I had been out there for like two years on the nose. About. I mean, it's hard being on SNL. Just, I mean, just for starters, I would imagine there's a lot of pressure. You are sort of rushing to get it done that week, right? You start on like Tuesday, right? I mean, you start whenever you want, but yeah, like some people start Monday, some people start right in Sunday. You know, I I started like on a like Monday night, Tuesday. Start writing a sketch, figuring it out, figure something out. What have you gotten on the air? I know you don't want to say me, 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 because it is a team. Yeah, but but what can fans of Sam J? What could we say? Like, she had a big hand in that one. Uh, them Trumps. <laughs> Them Trumps was crazy. Uh, the the um, Black Jeopardy episode with um, Chadwick. Chadwick, the Cha Cha Slide sketch with uh-huh. Mulaney. Uh huh. Uh huh. With John Mulaney. Uh huh. Uh, the uh, permission video with Chris and Pete and Future and Wayne. Okay. That's probably the. the I mean, the the Chadwick Boseman Black Jeopardy sketch is something that everybody, at least everybody black, remembers. People will talk about, like you know, the potato salad, like the potato salad line. You could just say at any time, like white person screwing up, like oh, they put raisins in the potato. Everybody knows what you're talking about. Everyone's gonna laugh. I mean, that is iconic. Yeah, I guess so. I I mean, it feels. I don't know what that means, right? It's just it was crazy just to see some shit. Ideas that you kind of conjure up on a Monday, Tuesday, watch him get worked out all week, you know, through pitching and beating it over with everybody on the show. And then you watch it get on and it works the way you hoped it would. And people gravitate towards the things that you found funny Tuesday night. And mm-hmm. you're like, okay, that was fucking awesome. And then you to see it spread around so quickly, it was like, oh, you can like, say a thing or, or create a thing that influences culture, and that's cool. Uh, you know, part of that sketch, too, is the character learns through the sketch. And normally, that there's no learning process. For, there might be a learning process for the audience, but not for the character. And that was really interesting to see. Oh, now I think I got it. That was so fun. Yeah. That was fun to me. That was the fun part. It was like, by the by the potato salad thing, he should be hip. Yeah. You know, that was important. Because like he's still black and there's a just a level of blackness that I think we all understand each other. So it was like what I loved was like he don't need to know what potato salad is. He don't need to ever like <laughs> Right. Yeah. I was I was very adamant about that part. Like he don't need to know what it is. Right. He just needs to be black and have his black instincts on point. And yeah. then he'll get because that's fun. Yeah. Because it's like maybe they never had that, but they had something else and some white people where they from fucked it up. <laughs> them Trumps <laughs> threw some shit on it. Them Trumps is dope because we, I think we can see a stereotypical blackness in the way they do their thing. That doesn't that you know just doesn't come out when when you put them in blackface. It's like oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> Don't say blackface and get me banned from from the media. No, no, it's, it's not. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> but just to portray that family as black becomes yeah. like <sighs> yeah i think so that's i think that's the fun of it it's just like he's clearly acting up but no one wants to see it but if you put it in a black stance and just do what he's doing this is what he's doing you know what i mean so much of your journey you keep talking about authenticity and i really like that and in this sort of search and this journey toward authenticity and you something you said before we started about it's not about institutions for you success is not about succeeding i got that from one of the lucas brothers by the way i gotta give them credit i don't know if it's keith or kenny because they look the same <laughs> and i never really know who the fuck i'm talking to um but i love them both equally and one of them said that to me about two years ago when we were talking about just basically getting into fucking clubs, and he was like, "Man, wherever wherever you get to do comedy, you're doing comedy. Wherever you're doing comedy, he's like, it's just, I'm not attached to institutions. It doesn't make any sense. Like the world moves past that stuff." And I was like, "It sat with me forever." I mean, so many of us get wrapped up in, you know, I want to play for a great team or on a work at Apple or Nike and. That would be great, and if Apple or Nike want to call me, right. like, I'll take the call. But, to, but success cannot be defined by can I get my record on Def Jam? You know, can no. I design? Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because then you're setting yourself up for failure essentially, because you're saying if these people don't approve you, then you won't keep going. Yes. If these people don't approve you, then what you're saying is not valid. It's like the belief in your validity has to be bigger than the institution. The belief in the importance of what you're saying or what you're trying to give to the world, because that's what anything you're creating is, it has to be bigger than the institution that puts the stamp on it. I mean, I feel like people are either working in service of their own dream or someone else's dream. And Apple is somebody else's dream. 100%. SNL is somebody else's dream. Absolutely. And the guy is right there. Yeah. You see him all the day. Yeah, time. and he tells you yes and no because it's his shit and he has the right to do so. But, you know, if Sam J creates a show, you know. Then even, I get to say yes or no. Yeah, even if it only exists within this theater and only 10 people come, but that is your institution and your dream that you create. And that is success. Not that 10 people came, but that you no, created yeah. it and it lived. Yeah, but also, you don't, I get it because you don't want to be the father from Crooklyn. <laughs> like, niggas, no one want to feel like that. <laughs> people going to come oh. hear this music again. You don't want to be living like that. Oh, it's so just... it's just a dance. There's a dance to be had, and that's the part that no one can tell you. There's the part you just got to run the race. Mm. And it's like, that's the that's the salmon upstream shit. It's like, either you swim or you don't, you know? But there's a dance to be had, because you definitely don't want to be on that side of it either, because to me, like, that wouldn't be success. I didn't get into comedy this week to 10 people. Oh, of course, of course. You know? So, so what... If 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 your goals and dreams are not attached to institutions, what is the goal or dream for the next you know forty five years? Put out a special, put out an hour special that resonates like bigger and blacker, which is damn. I don't think I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do it, but I'm gonna try. Um, but just something with quotable, something that fucking hits the culture, and it's like oh that shit happened and it was fucking here. And it wasn't, it's not forgotten about, you know what I'm saying? Just something that kind of lands, which is hard to do in this, in this time where things come and turn over so so quickly, you know? So I, I don't know if if I'm even being too lofty and thinking 
about this, and sometimes I think I am. Um, I think comics, and especially black comics, the way the black community is really attuned to comics who really move us, it's definitely possible um, to do what rappers did a generation ago. Rappers said, and everybody's quoting Jay-Z's line, DMX's yeah, line, whatever. So. Like, there's a lot of people... You know, or at least I hope I have. I shouldn't say it's not possible. I should say I hope I can figure out how to do it. Someone will figure out how to do it. I hope I can figure out how to do it with this this putting on a special, you know, and having that first one just feel like good like that, you know. Um, developing, finding other ways to develop my comedic voice and and figuring out how to put my comedic voice, which is also yeah, into culture. Do you foresee yourself trying to like go to Hollywood and be in the films or be in the TV show, or you want to be writing and on stage doing the jokes? What do you mean? I mean, a lot of comics live on stage, you know, do the comedy circuit and have a very nice life. I and, mean, well, clearly I want to write. I'm writing. If I didn't want to write, I wouldn't be but there. Some want to be in front of the camera in a TV show I or a I movie. I think I want to do anything that. I feel I'm capable of doing and also anything that's going to like push the message or, or not necessarily the message, but get my creative voice out there. Like I, I don't, I'm, I'm not thinking in any limit creatively. It's just like allowing myself to be as creative as I can be in all these different lanes that are, are opening up to me and seeing if I can be funny in these different ways and, and in these different spaces or, or what that looks like for me. And it might, all fall behind the camera eventually, or it might fall in front of the camera. It might, or it might fall in both faces, places. I kind of feel like a kid in like a really good college right now, and I'm just like, I'm letting shit happen, man, and like just walking down the paths and taking all the internships, and I'm gonna go to Europe for the summer and learn Spanish, and maybe I'll love Spain. You know, I don't know. I mean, we talk so much about the period. When you were finding yourself, weren't sure you were a comic, weren't sure of your sexuality, and now you are certain of your purpose professionally, you are clear on who you are, you know, personally. Does it feel good? Do you feel like settled and relaxed? Like now I'm now I'm who I'm supposed to be. No. Just anxiety and crazy <laughs> comes up in other places. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, I don't feel settled at all, now. I just feel crazy about other shit that I didn't know I could be crazy about. <laughs> There's just other things to worry about. Mm -hmm. You talked a lot about the men you look up to. Are there women comics you look up to? Are there any women comics who have mentored you or given you any good advice? Or... Yeah, Jessica Ke like Jessica Kirsten, Maria Franklin, Shawnee D out of Detroit. Oh, uh, Hmm, so many Janine Garofalo, mm. Wanda Sykes. Mm. Well, so many times, so many nights, so many occasions, so many conversations. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's definitely a lot. What's your superpower? Wow, my superpower is. I think my superpower is a combination of patience, and um. I don't. I truly don't judge people. Mm. That's dope. When I find people who I feel like truly don't judge, I feel really 
calm and relaxed with them. I truly don't judge. And in the sense that, like, not saying I don't look at someone like them shoes are ugly. Of course, I look at someone say shoes are ugly, or their glasses are no. ugly. Wear. But, like, you could tell me your weird shit, and I'll be like, all right, bro. Everybody weird, man. Like, I truly don't judge people. And I'm even, like, the little shit I judge you about, I'll, I'll joke with you about because I don't, you know. Sure. I think that's it, honestly, because I think it allows me to just see things different yeah. a little bit. The last thing, tell us, what is the difference between being good at comedy and being great at comedy? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. You see, I mean, like, you're in that trying to... I mean, some people just figure out whatever. It's figuring out what makes you great. <laughs> it's figuring out what kept you good. And some people figure it out. Some people don't. But I don't think it's a thing. Because it's different for, for everybody. Yeah. I think you're going to figure it out. Maybe. I think you're you're getting there. I hope so. Or maybe I won't. You just got to be down for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. If you're committed to whatever happens, you know, eventually something good will happen. If you know, I think so. That's one thing I do for sure things. It's like, if you're just like, hey, I'm a lifer, and then this is what's, it'll take you somewhere. And if you just keep going with the energy and not being a sucker, and that's all it is, just don't be a sucker, bro. And if you just like, hey, I'm not going to be a sucker. And even when this shit feel risky and weird, or like it might let me down, I like this thing better than I like anything else. So fuck it. It'll probably work out. Thanks to Sam J for a great interview and thanks to you for listening. Torre Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please subscribe, rate, review, and tell someone you really like to listen to this show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Carfano. Our editor is Brandon Tago and our photographer is Chuck Marcus. We're distributed by DCP Entertainment, and we will be back next Wednesday with more knowledge from amazing folks because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door Thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy. And we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy. And I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer. Because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.